we would love to hear from you what the Lord is doing in your life or have seen in others. Write us at stories at themillenniumbeat.com or call us and leave a voicemail at 407-624-9957. We at The Millennium Beat are looking forward to hearing what the Lord is doing in your life. Remember that The Millennium Beat is helping people share their stories. On today's show, I'm sitting down with Joel Thornton at our temporary studio location in Lafayette, Louisiana. Joel is with Child and Parental Rights Campaign as Chief Operation Officer and Litigation Counsel. He's also with P33 as CEO and General Counsel. On today's show, we will hear how he became a lawyer working with Jay Sekulow for well over 15 years, plus more of his story. So now on to the show. Welcome to the Millennium Beat Podcast, where we like to encourage the world one story at a time. Now get ready to hear stories from around the world that encourage and uplift you. Now to the show with your host, Kevin James. Hey, everybody. You are listening to the Millennium Beat. I am your host, Kevin James. Today, I have Joel Thornton from Child and Parental Rights Campaign. That's right. Hey, I finally got it right. (laughs) Joel, I thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to hear a little bit about Joel and where he came from and where he's going. Okay. Well, I was born and raised in Rome, Georgia. I still live there. Uh, I've lived uh, around, I've lived in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. I've lived in uh, Eugene, Oregon for a short time. I lived in Munich, Germany for a short time. And then I lived uh, for about a year in France. Mm. Uh, but Rome has always been home, and it's it's where I am. And I practice law there now. I'm a lawyer by training. Okay. And by practice. I've been a lawyer for 27 years. Mm. Um, and, you know, I was raised in a Southern Baptist home, uh, going to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, mm. <laughs> every Wednesday night, uh, all through my childhood. Uh, but I had a radical experience with God when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And it completely changed my life, that, that baptism in the Holy Spirit. And that was at 17 years old. So mm-hmm. at, at a time when most people are starting to get really wild, I started tuning in to God in a, in a radical way. And this was in the late 70s. So it was right on the, on the tail end of the Jesus movement. In fact, one of the organizations that I was a part of for years, uh, for about three or four years, was, was an organization that came out of the Jesus movement, Maranatha Ministries of Bob Weiner. And um, it was a college ministry that reached out onto college campuses and uh, set up churches on college campuses all over the world. And that's why I lived in Munich, Germany. I went there for the summer of 1980 to help plant a church in Munich, Germany and worked as a missionary for nine weeks in Munich, Germany. And then I got back from there and went to uh, Eugene, Oregon to help plant a church at the University of Oregon in Eugene. And, um, and at that point, I, I left Maranatha, came home and um, started back to school got a degree in middle grades education uh, and started teaching middle school in a local public school. And I uh, taught for about four years. And along the way, I had several people that were telling me I needed to, to go to law school and become a lawyer. And I, I just, I'd never wanted to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something I aspired to. It didn't look fun to me. It wasn't like I, I wasn't one of these kids that grew up going, when I grow up, I'm going to be a lawyer. That looks like the way to go. <laughs> I just, I never thought about it. I was going to be a coach. I was a basketball player. Mm. My dad was a basketball coach. So I grew up in a gym. And I, I, from the, as early as the third grade, when my dad started coaching professionally as, as a high school basketball coach, I started uh, 
hanging out in the gym. I was there. If he was having practice, I was at practice playing mm. basketball, begging him to let me play with the high school team. You know, come on, Dad, let me get in the game. And uh, and just and just loved it. Mm-hmm. And so I was coaching basketball in middle school. I had to go back to school uh, to keep my certificate uh, up to date. Every five years, you have to get so much, so many hours of education. And I thought, if I'm going to do that, I ought to go ahead and, and start working on a master's degree. But I had some people telling me they thought I ought to go to law school. And as I prayed about it, I started thinking, well, maybe I should at least apply and get them off my back. <laughs> and so I did. I applied to law school. I applied to one law school at Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia, about an hour and a half from my house. And I didn't apply anywhere else. I went and took the LSAT. I made a decent score on it. But I, I thought if this was in the in the um, late middle to late 80s. And I thought with affirmative action, the law schools were really pushing hard to get women into law school. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was it was really heavy in men and light in women. And there was a push to change that. And since then, it's changed. And there are more women in law school than men now. And But at the time, I thought, I'm a man. I've got good grades. I didn't have you know top of the class grades in college. But I, I, I did well enough. And I thought, well, I'll apply. But they're not going to take me because I'm a man. But I'll at least get all these people off my back. And then one day, I get a letter from Georgia State University congratulating me mm. on being accepted into law school. And I'm going, okay. oh, now I've got to really decide what I'm supposed to do. Right. So I went to my family and started talking to them and, and my parents and my brother and my sister and, and all of my immediate family were completely against me going to law school. They just said, no, you're a teacher, you're a coach, you're really enjoying what you do, you're really good at it, you're gifted in the classroom, you need to stay here and do that. I went to my pastor's. And talked to them and said, you know, I've been accepted to law school. I'm praying about going. And they said, you know, we've got family members that are lawyers and it's almost destroyed their lives. We think it's a really negative place to be. We don't think you need to do it. This is not God. Don't do it. But as I prayed about it, I just became convinced that God was telling me to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I went to my pastors and I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to law school against your advice. And if I get there and find out it's not God, I'll come back and I will stand up in front of this church and publicly apologize to the church for missing God. But I've got to go. I'm not going to be 40 years old and wonder if I missed it. Right. I go to law school, start law school, and I'm minding my own business, uh, just reading. You know, in law school, one of the the crazy things about it is you're, for a class, you may have to read 150, 200 pages in a day uh, to come sit, to be prepared for the classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you may have five classes a week. So you could be reading 1,000 pages a week just to stay level, just mm-hmm. to stay even. And so, you know, I'm, I'm reading, I'm, I'm going to law school in Atlanta from Rome, Georgia. I'm literally commuting to Atlanta every day, which I was told you can't do. It'll kill you. I spent one night a week in Atlanta with a friend of mine, I had an apartment right in, right near downtown Atlanta. And I would literally come in a sleeping bag and sleep on his floor. Cause I had a night, I had a class that was over at 10 o'clock at night and I had a nine o'clock class the next morning. So I would sleep on his floor, get up the next morning and go back to school. And then the rest of the time I was coming home and going back. And so that's an extra three hours added to every day driving into and out of Atlanta. But I, I managed to do it. So I'm at the end of my first semester. I'm, 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 it's about October. It would have been October. And I'm, I'm sitting at home and I've, I've had a stack of magazines, Christian magazines. I got, I got contemporary Christian music magazine, uh, charisma magazine and four or five other Christian magazines. And I'm, I took out my copy of Charisma, and I'm flipping through it, and I read an article, an interview in there with Jay Sekulow, uh, the Christian attorney with the American Center for Law and Justice, represents Donald Trump. He just represented him before the Supreme Court about a month ago in 
uh, in the case over whether or not Donald Trump has to release his tax uh, records to the uh, to the uh, DA in New York. Okay. And um and he lost that case, but he won the case that he doesn't have to release them to Congress, but he does have to release them to the prosecutor in New York. Uh, so I'm reading an interview with Jay Sekulow, and this was before I didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. He wasn't extremely famous at the time, although he was fairly well known in some parts of the country. And it was an it was an article about a case he'd had at the Supreme Court called Board of Airport Commissioners versus Jews for Jesus. Mm-hmm. It was his first case, and it was over whether or not uh, Christian missionaries could evangelize inside public airports. This was in the days before security. Right. And when they would literally be back near the gates handing out literature because you could literally walk all the way onto the plane without ever being have anybody ask you anything. Right. I had no ID. All you had to have was a ticket at the time. And so he won that case. And I'm reading the article about it, and I go, that's why I went to law school right there. That's what God had me in law school. So I, he was in. He was working for Jews for Jesus, which was in San Francisco. Uh, and he said in the article that he had an an office in Decatur, in Decatur, Georgia, uh, which is a suburb of Atlanta. And so I wrote him a letter, mailed it to San Francisco. And I remember it was in late September, or early October, because it was the World Series where they had the earthquake during the World Series, and they were playing a game in San Francisco when that earthquake hit. And they, they there was a whole lot of chaos around it. So, I, And the reason I remember that is in the letter, I was like, I know this is not a really good time to be writing you. I trust you're all safe from the earthquake that just happened there. But I've, I'm in law school, and I, I wasn't sure why I went to law school, but I think I went to law school to work with you, and I'd like to have an opportunity to talk to you uh, about working for you. And I'm... Um, and in your working in your Atlanta office, because I'm thinking he's in San Francisco. I didn't know, but at the time he was commuting to San Francisco from Atlanta on a regular basis, like every other week he was oh, wow. flying out to San Francisco and working during the week and coming back. And uh, so I I had the letter typed out on my word processor. It wasn't on a computer at the time. I literally had a Smith Corona typewriter with a television monitor, I and uh, those little bitty discs. I've still got a bunch of those little discs that I'd like to get some stuff off of if you know how to do that. And um, so anyway, uh, I'm typing out the letter and I and I have to put the paper into the into the typewriter for it to print it a page at a time. So it prints the letter and I've got the letter and I'm and I'm holding it in my hand and I think he won't ever see this letter. He's just been in Charisma magazine. He's argued at the Supreme Court and I almost wadded it up and threw it away. And I just at the last minute I thought, you know what? I'm going to mail it to him, and if he wants to throw it away, he can throw it away. It's going to cost me 25 cents. Right. That was the cost of a stamp at the time. So I folded it up, put it in the mail, forgot about it. Come home about two weeks later. Uh, I come home one night from law school, living with my parents. Uh, and I, I'm not married at the time, so I'm, I'm still living with my parents. I go into into my bedroom, and my phone has the light flashing on the voicemail on the, on the voice recorder, the answer machine. So I push the button and uh, and have a message for, hey, Joel, this is Jay Sekulow. I just got your letter. I'd love to talk to you. I actually work in our in our Decatur office. I'm down there all the time. I'd love to talk to you. Here's my number. Call me, and we'll set up an appointment to have a meeting. So I'm on cloud nine at this point. Wow, this guy called me back. So I call him. He, he's too busy. I can't get a meeting. And I'm thinking, well, maybe he's just had second thoughts. But I finally get him to have a meeting with me in late, in early December. Go in to meet him, and within 15 minutes of sitting in his office in Decatur, he's offered me a job for the summer. Okay. Uh, and now I'm volunteering. Right. I'm telling him I've, I've, I'm in law school part-time. 
uh, because I was on the nighttime program at Georgia State. It was a special program that allowed you to keep a full-time job and go to law school. Mm -hmm. I said, so I've got next semester free. I'd like to volunteer for you. And he said, well, why don't you do this? I'll have you come in on January the 11th. He was arguing a case at the Supreme Court of the United States on January the 10th. He said, come in the day after I'm done with that case. I'll get you started working. You can volunteer for us, and I'll pay you in the summer to work as a clerk for me. And that was within the first 15 minutes of walking in his office. Oh. Uh, an hour, 45 minutes into that meeting, he offered me a job for the rest of my life. Oh. And later his wife told me, said, Joel, I, I don't know what happened, but when you walked in there, it was a God moment in this organization because Jay doesn't respond to people the way he responded to you. I, and I ended up working for him for almost 15 years, so I can tell you that that's the truth. Right. He, he's very closed off. And, and, of course, at this point in your life, you kind of have to be because you never know what people's motivations are mm. for coming. So I ended up working for this guy who's who's changing the world Right. while I'm in law school. I mean, I'm sitting in constitutional law the next year, and we're arguing about a case that I had literally helped work on at the court. I'd been to the oral argument at the court of this case because on Fe I started working in January. In February, Jay had a second, his third case. The second case was Mergen's, the Bible Club case that was argued in January. In February, he argued the Coquinda case, which was a, a political pamphlet distribution case at the post offices at the Supreme Court. And, and the week before that case was going to be argued, he, he came to me and said, hey, I've got an extra seat at the oral argument next week. Would you be interested in going and seeing the Supreme Court oral argument? I said, yeah, I'd love to. He goes, okay, well, I'll buy you a plane ticket, show up at the airport, at, go to the Delta counter and tell them your name, and they'll have a seat for you. So I go to the Delta counter, and he's bought me a first-class plane ticket to Washington, D.C., met me at the airport with a limousine, taking me to the court. I've got my name on the register. I just go in. They take me in, put me in a seat. Afterwards, I, have a, I come back out. The driver's waiting on me. He takes me to the Willard Hotel right across from the Treasury Department, which sits next to the White House, one of the nicest hotels in the country for a luncheon to celebrate the oral argument and all that. And then I go, but get out of that, get back on the, in the limo and takes me back to the airport and flies me back to Atlanta where I go to class that night at law school. Mm -hmm. Well, about six months later, I'm sitting in constitutional law and we're arguing about, and the professor is talking about a, a case and the, a friend of mine in law school, who was also a Christian says, Hey, that was the case you went and saw the argument. You worked on that case, didn't you? I said, yeah. So he raises his hand to the law professor says, well, law uh, professor, uh, hey, Joel was at that argument, and he can tell us what. And so I had to correct the professor because he he was getting the case all wrong from what we took it to mean. Uh, and it, but it was just that kind of heady stuff because my law professor's like, I've never seen a Supreme Court argument. Here you are, basically in your second year of law school, and you've already been at the Supreme Court. Wow. And so it it was very heady stuff. Right. Uh, but so I spent 15 years with him. I helped him open up his European Center for Law and Justice in Strasbourg, France. Because my, one of my passions has always been, has been Europe. Right. Uh, it's why I was a missionary there in, in the summer of 1980. And I've, I've never, I don't know why I got to put it there, but I know it's there. It's, and it's still there to this day. You, you, you sit me down and give me a minute and I'll be find, looking for a way to get to Europe. And, um, and I've been blessed to be able to work there and, and to do things there. That's but, cool. But I, I stayed with him for for a long time. But then I felt like he was kind of de-emphasizing back after September 11th. I was living in Europe on, on September 11th, 2001. Mm -hmm. And uh, we came home on the first flight back from Europe into the United States that we could get. And, uh, and that kind of changed how everything was. And Jay wasn't letting me be involved in the international work. And that's what I really had a heart to. So I left there and started doing international human rights work on my own. Okay. And I've done that since 2004. 
I do work at the Olympics, at the World Cup. I work with the missionaries that come into all of those events. Uh, there's a there's a huge mission movement around those events of people that give up their vacation time to come and share the gospel at this big event where people come from all over the world for the sole purpose of meeting foreigners mm-hmm. and and trying to have conversations with people they don't know. Right. I mean, it's it's almost like it's a little mini training camp for missionaries because it's a very target rich environment and it's a very friendly environment you're not having to deal you know you've probably done some street work or seen Mm -hmm. people do street work it's really difficult to get people to talk to you when you're out on the street trying to hand out a pamphlet or or trying to share the gospel or or give a bible to people but at the olympics it's not because people are milling about they've got nothing to do and they're just looking to have conversations and so we we protect the rights of those missionaries, make sure they don't get in trouble with the law enforcement. We make sure they understand what their rights are and that they aren't being obnoxious or pushing themselves upon people and that kind of thing. Uh, and, but then in, uh, in February of this year, I started working with Child and Parental Rights Campaign. Okay. Uh, they, it's a lady that I've known for years. She's a Harvard Law graduate, brilliant lawyer, Vernadette Broles. And uh, she asked me to come on and start helping them. And so I'm helping to organize the organization. I'm I'm working as a litigation counsel, but also as the as the chief operations officer to get the organization set up and structurally in place so that it can grow. And uh, we're we've just had a, a cert petition filed at the Supreme Court of the United States asking them to hear a, a high school bathroom case mm-hmm. where the high school passed a law or passed a regulation that said that uh, if you're a student that identifies as a sex other than the sex that with which you were born, that you can use the bathroom of your choice, the private facilities of your choice, the bathroom, locker room, or showers. And some parents objected to that, brought a case in Oregon in the federal court. Uh, their case was dismissed with prejudice in Oregon. They filed at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. They lost there. And we took the case from there and have just filed it with the Supreme Court and should know probably by early November whether or not they're going to hear the case. Okay. And if they hear the case, probably sometime in April or May, we'll have an oral argument at the Supreme Court of the United States as a as a less than a, as about a year and a half old organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, I mean, God is doing some amazing things. There's uh, there's nobody standing up for the rights of the Christians in this transgender movement alone. There are people that do it along with a bunch of other stuff, but we're the only organization that I know of, especially the only Christian organization I know of, that's concentrating on that work and doing that and so uh, you know i'm the the one thing i probably haven't shared that that if you don't know me you wouldn't understand i'm a hundred percent justice guy Mm -hmm. if you're looking for mercy you don't want to waste a dime on me right Uh, you know if you're laying on the side of the street bleeding and need a doctor i may stop and call i may call as i go by but i I just doesn't it it, and i'm I'm being a little bit overstating on that facetious my wife is a hundred percent mercy you stub your toe, she's the lady you want around because she's gonna willing to put you out on the table, start bandaging it up and calling the hospital. And I'm over there going, come on, let's go. We got work to do. Get up. Uh, but I, I'm, really, I'm really heavily motivated right. uh, by injustice makes me mad. And I don't like to see it wherever it is and whoever it's against. That's one of the reasons I got involved in the trafficking mm-hmm. uh, industry. And I, I do some work still legally in human trafficking. It's one of the reasons this transgender issue makes it so bad. I don't care if people are transgender as adults, but you can't destroy children's lives all for the sake of your agenda. And I, and I can't sit around and watch that. So the question that was coming into my head is we've talked a little bit about where you started to know to about now, what do you really see yourself um, personally and professionally in the next five or 10 years? You know, I've, 
I, I see myself fighting for justice. Continue. Uh, yeah, continue. You know, and uh, to, to amuse myself, and my wife laughs and my daughter goes, because you need something else to do, Dad. <laughs> uh, to, commuse, to amuse myself, I, I dabble in some writing. I've published a novel. Okay. I've published, it's not, it's no longer on the market, so I can't give it to you and let people order it because it's not in print. I published, self-published a book of ministry people I've worked with, and I'm working on putting together something like that. But then I also organized Tours of Israel. Oh, uh, in fact, next year in 2021, I've got uh, four tours that I'm per- I'm currently booking for. Okay. Where I work with churches and get them to get their people engaged in going to Europe or going to Israel mm-hmm. and doing a Steps of Jesus tour, following Jesus okay. around Israel. And and the reason I do that is not just I love to travel. First of all, I, I right. I'm not. I, Jay used to call me the original vagabond. He said, <laughs> "You're like a hobo, Joel. You have bag, will travel." Because he would go, "We need to go," and I'd go, "Where are we going?" Instead of, you know, most people would go, well, I got to check with my wife. I got to do this. I got to see. But my wife was all in. Right. And it was like, we need to go. And and I was like, well, let's go. And I never was the person going, I can't go with you. I was always the person that was saying, I'll meet you at the airport. I'll be there in 30 minutes. Let's go. I've already got a bag packed. And, And so this naturally fits into that. But I believe with all my heart that one of the ways we're going to transform this country and bring the next, the third great awakening to the United States of America Mm -hmm. is by taking people to Israel okay, and letting them experience the land where Jesus was. Right. Listen, I've traveled all over the world. I've I've been on about 60 trips internationally in my life. And, and I, I love to travel and I love being at new places and I've never been anywhere. I didn't like being. And the first time I was headed to Israel, I'd been told by everybody who'd ever been, oh, it'll change your life. It's amazing. You won't believe it. It's just something in the air there. Mm-hmm. And I was on the way to Israel going, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it'll be, I'm going to love it, I know. Right. And I, Because I was raised in the church, and everywhere you go, you know a story about it because you, you're raised on the Bible stories. And I thought, it, that's going to be great, but, but it, it's just going to be another place. And I stepped off the plane, and you can feel God in Israel. He is there still to this day. And you can feel the testimony of who God is for the entire length of history when you're in Israel. And so I really believe that that taking Christian people there and letting them experience that firsthand, get baptized in the Jordan River, go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, go to the Garden Tomb, uh, you know, go to the Western Wall and, and lean up against it and pray and go to the City of David and tour David's Palace, the ruins of David's Palace and those things stand on the Mount of Olives and then ultimately to stand in the garden of Gethsemane next to olive trees that you can reach out and touch. One of them may have been there when Jesus was there. It's 1500 to 2000 years old. Wow. And you can walk right up to it. There's a fence kind of keeping you from grabbing it, but you can stand right beside it. But the other, there's other trees in that garden. You can walk up to and touch them if you want. And, and to be able to do that, right does something inside a person and it inspires a person. And so that's, you know, it's, it's, it, it solves my need to travel mm-hmm. and my need to be somewhere, but it also ha- serves a much higher purpose than that. Cause I really believe that that's going to be instrumental in, in creating some pockets of revival around the country. You're fulfilling the vision and the dream that the Lord put in your heart. Exactly. And that's a great thing to do. So, it, And I've been blessed to be able to do that and make a living at it. Because mm-hmm. most people have to make a living and then find a way to fulfill their dreams. Right. And I've been able to do it with my work because what that's I cool. do, what I'm doing right now changes the world and changes the lives of my clients. It's not just that it solves a dispute for them. It literally gives them back their lives. Right. That's cool. All right. In closing, um, 
whether professionally, like lawyer wise, or the tours and stuff like that, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, they can get a hold of me by going. Uh, I've got a couple of websites they can go to. If they want to get in touch with me professionally, they need to go uh, to childparentrights.org is the website, childparentrights.org. And my email address is simply jthornton, T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N, at childparentrights.org. Mm-hmm. So if, if they're wanting to deal with the transgender issue or if they've got other legal questions, they can email me there. They can go on the website there and get information. And I'm listed on the website, and you can get in touch with me through the website. If they want to, to talk about Israel or, or talk about how to set up a tour, or whether, you know, even if they just want information on how they can set up their own tour, uh, I have a, a website called P33 Adventures. P, the letter P is in Paul. 33, three, the number, 3, the number 3. Adventures with an S. So P33 A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com. And at that website, you can go on the website and see the tours that we've got, that we've got, that we're booking right now in Israel and Greece and ultimately in Germany. Uh, And then if you want to get in touch with me through that website about Israel, just Joel, J-O-E-L at P33Adventures.com. Thanks for tuning in today to the Millennium Beat Podcast with your host, Kevin James. I've been sitting down with Joel Thornton at our temporary studio in Lafayette, Louisiana. I would like to thank Joel for joining us today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, Kevin. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to hear or see Joel Thornton in person, he will be in Deltona, Florida at Identity Church. Their address is 777 Deltona Boulevard on Sunday, September 6th at 10 a.m. To find out more information about this event, you may go to www.identitychurch.net or Identity Church's Facebook page. Thanks for tuning in today to the Millennium Beat Podcast. I hope you heard something that was encouraging to you. We'd like to hear from you with your story, so write us at stories at themillenniumbeat.com or give us a call at 407-624-9957 and leave us a voicemail. You may also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we have a YouTube channel. Please like us and share us with your friends. You may also go to our website at themillenniumbeat.com and you'll find our podcast and our YouTube video. You also may find a calendar there with past and future guests and dates and times. Plus, another way for you to contact us with your stories or questions. This has been a Millennium Beat LLC production, copyright 2020. Views and opinions of the guests are not always the views and opinions of the Millennium Beat LLC. You've been listening to the Millennium Beat with your host, Kevin James. I'm going to give you a little snippet of a show called Family Matters with your host, Paul Kendall. If you want to hear more shows like that, go to KindleFamilyNetwork.com. Once again, I'd like to thank Paul Kendall for the use of his show. Welcome to Family Matters, a daily look inside the real world of parents and their children. I'm your host, Paul Kendall. Oh, how I miss the days when Renee and Alex were little and I could fool them so easily. I would go back and forth with Alex. I'd just look at him with a serious face as though he had done something wrong and say, Alex, did you? Not having any clue that I was just playing, he would say, no, sir. You didn't? Uh, yes, sir. You did? Um, uh, no, sir. Now that he's older, I say, Alex, did you? And he just smiles and says, 
Yeah, Dad. Right. As parents, we have incredible power over our children. As members of our households, there is little they can do but obey our rules and stomach even the harshest criticism. There is a line, however, between fun and games and provoking anger in a child. At first glance, many problem children appear to be the problem themselves. But a closer look will prove that some of these kids are victims of a variety of child abuses. Some may be as mild as a parent constantly referring to them as stupid. After all, parents are out there in the world all day, subject to their boss's crude comments and corporate red tape. Social and career pressures make us hold our opinions inside all day, but when we walk through the doors of our own home, suddenly we're the one that's in control. And if we're not careful, it can get out of hand. Discipline is a godly ordinance in the home. But like so many other areas of life, the enemy can turn good discipline into abuse and cause a child to be angry deep inside. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Jesus loves children. Once, the disciples tried to keep the children away, thinking they would bother him. But he said, Let them come over here to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he blessed them. As parents, we must remember that our children are people worthy of respect, just like the ones we're so polite to out there in public. And when they grow up, they may take care of you the same way you took care of them. Oh, I can see it now. Alex pushing me around in a wheelchair saying, Daddy, did you? That's Family Matters. I'm Paul Kendall.